0: Nothing to do. Good morning or good. I didn't know it. We're so used to this. Produce content and have conversations for those. Let's all go to the live. Good morning or good evening, depending on whatever shift your seniority allows you to hold. I'm William Young, Correctional Officer, author, and advocate for the correctional profession. Tonight, I'll be your ever-so-gracious host and director of dialogue for the duration of this discussion. Allow me to welcome you with warm, unwavering, outstretched, and open arms to this week's edition of the Saturday Night Synopsis. Now, if this is your first time stopping by, if this is your first time finding us, and you're wondering what it is exactly that we do here, let me explain for a second here. The Saturday Night Synopsis is a live show that we air every Saturday night on Facebook at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we produce content and have conversations for those craving information about the wonderful world of corrections with a focus on highlighting and fighting the psychological danger and emotional damage that correctional officers encounter while working on the inside. We tackle topics like trauma and the toll that it can take on an officer's mental health and well-being. The mission here at the Saturday Night Synopsis is to shatter the stigma that surrounds us when we reach out, when we seek for help. I I see some people uh, jumping in here, some some familiar faces, and I want to thank you for stopping by. Thank you for your support. I'm 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 humbled and I'm honored that you choose to spend some of your precious time to hang out with me on a Saturday night. I'm gonna be honest. Uh, I see Robbie Chaos is on here, and. Uh, she always asks me, she says, I work with her, and she says, you know, one day you should let us know what it's like uh, when you're getting ready for the show on a Saturday. So here's what I did today. I'm I'm, I'm exhausted. Uh, not like the bullshit I'm tired line, like I usually tell my wife and stuff when I'm, like, emotionally drained. But, like, I'm fucking exhausted. My, my in-law is, my father-in-law is putting in a pool in his backyard, and um, I have been swinging a sledgehammer, building retaining walls, moving dirt, and um I don't like it. I am uh I'm a jailer. I'm not a physical labor guy and inside a correctional facility it is always about 70 degrees. It doesn't rain, it doesn't snow. And uh the heaviest thing I got to lift is a person from time to time, but I have three or four of my close buddies to help me do it. So I am uh I'm exhausted. So so there's that and then I got to go do a dinner party uh which was good and these these people that we went to uh I I got to talk about this for a second because They're super nice people. They're terrific people. I mean, anybody that's going to hang out with me that doesn't have to hang out with me is probably a saint, right? So she made—her name is Cynthia, and she made these incredible uh, tacos. They're called Barria, I think. I don't know. I don't know if I'm supposed to roll my tongue like that, but they were fantastic. And then they had, uh, you know, homemade salsa, and they had uh, chocolate-covered strawberry. I mean, it was a whole spread. Mm. It was fantastic. Uh, They're incredible people. I love—usually— uh, I self-isolate. I don't uh, like hanging out or talking to real people, uh, but they're in my circle, and I love those guys, and I appreciate uh, the fantastic dinner. Before we get started, before we get into our uh, uh, the guest, the fantastic guest that I got tonight, I got a couple of things I want to fill you guys in on. Uh, hey guys, how you doing? Pat's here. My buddy Kuyper's here. Uh, On Monday the 15th, I'm gonna be interviewed by a couple of officers from the Illinois Department of Corrections on their podcast that they created for their facility. Uh, They were unable to do training because of COVID-19 and uh, that kind of stuff, so they created a podcast and they read my book and uh, I was kind of concerned because they read my book and it took them like four weeks to get back to me and I thought they read it and they're like, dude, this guy is crazy. And he can't write for shit, and we're not going to talk to him. So, uh, but they did get back to me, and that's going to be on Monday. So that's awesome. I'll post that up when it's available. Um, I listen to him on Spotify, uh, but I'll, I'll post the link to that uh, uh, on Wednesday. Wednesday coming up this week, I'm going to release another video on my YouTube channel, uh, and I'll post a link to that in the description uh, to the YouTube channel. If you haven't checked it out, head over there. Please subscribe. I'm going to post content every day, or excuse me, every Wednesday. Uh, so subscribe and share. It's going to be content just like the Saturday Night Synopsis, um, kind of my take on the wonderful world of corrections. And I'll be handling different things like self care. And last week was the most cancerous catchphrases that correctional officers use. Uh, so check it out and uh, let me know what you think. <laughs> okay, Robbie Chaos says I am crazy, but but I'm in good company with her. So great. Uh, also on Friday the nineteenth, this is a busy week for me. I'll be, be participating. Uh, in a tear talk, tear talk, tear talk dinner party, and so what we're going to do is the tear talk panelists are going to get together, and then viewers are going to have the opportunity to kind of sign up. We're all going to eat dinner on on uh, on the program there, and they're going to be able to come in and out and ask questions to the panelists. and And it's not going to be a live deal, uh, but we're going to record it, see how it goes, and then we'll and then it'll be up on tear talk. So I'll let you know. Um, how that's going and, and what's going on with that. So also uh, I want to uh, hear in a couple of weeks, uh, I'm, I'm super excited about this project that I'm working on. Uh, it's a, it's a collaboration with 19 other first responders and I was super uh, gracious and excited when they reached out to corrections and uh, there, my, my wife is on uh, and I've already, I don't know if you're too late, but I already uh, told Cynthia, thank you for the tacos uh, to my millions of viewers. So uh, tell her I said, thank you again. But I'm doing this, uh, I'm doing this collaboration with other first responders called the I'm Possible Project. And so it's, it's military, it's dispatch, it's police, it's fire, and it's corrections. And the book is going to be available uh, for pre-order starting Monday, the 22nd. So I'll post a link to that too. Um, and uh, so you guys can jump on there, pre-order yourself a couple of copies um, and then this is I, I, I got a lot of announcements but that's okay um, I had some announcements from last week but my audio wasn't working and so I did like three minutes of just dead air which was uh, which was stupid so hopefully everything's going good now um, so on Wednesday the 24th here in a couple of weeks on a Wednesday I'm gonna have a special edition of this the show the Saturday night synopsis and uh, because I, I was able to land an awesome guest one of my like I reached out to him and I thought there's no way this guy's gonna even talk to me and he did and we exchanged phone numbers and it's gonna be awesome but here's the deal Uh, I'm not going to uh, I'm not gonna tell you who he is I will tell you that he has absolutely nothing to do with Corrections so the uh, the conversation will be a little different than it usually is but at the end of the show next Saturday I am I, I will show you and tell you who it is. So uh, make sure you check in and, and tune in for that. So all right, now let's get let's get into what we actually came here for tonight, which is for you to listen to my guest talk and not to listen to me ramble about shit that I'm gonna do this week. My guest uh, is an awesome guy. He, he has spent 20 years, over 20 years of his life serving his community as a boots on the ground police officer. and he's the author of a soon to be released book on on mental health and leadership it's called it's called police mental barricade and he's the host of a popular look i put these little graphics up here so you can see his his book cover and his little uh his podcast graphic there i'm getting super fancy here uh we were joking before the show i told him i'm even wearing pants tonight uh because uh i wanted to be fancy t-shirt and and pants for him tonight so uh, he's the host of the popular uh, police podcast, the roll call room. And uh, we're going to post all the links before that. And he's going to talk about this. Please give a warm Saturday night synopsis. Welcome to Nick Ruggiero. R- Ruggiero. How do you say R- it? Nick? Ruggiero. You R- were close, man. Ruggiero. 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 Nick, You were close. <laughs> Nick, thanks for joining us tonight. And, and, and thank you for the work that you're doing uh, to break down the stigma that surrounds suicide and mental health and law enforcement. So, how, how are you doing tonight, buddy?
1: I'm doing pretty good. Um, when you initially re- reached out to me to come on, no mention of pants whatsoever. So I went ahead and made the judgment call of just a nice polo shirt. It so, does look nice. Professional up top, party on the bottom. Nice, I like So it. that's what I'm trying to go <laughs> for, this, for this show. Very so good. those of you where the screen ends, like right here, you're lucky.
0: I, I have but, to I have to give Nick a little shit the shit because here's the deal. Uh, <laughs> what I contacted him and he already knows what I'm going to say. I do. But, but so so we we kind of exchanged messages after I had uh, Miss Mellon on the show and um and so we kind of set up the interview and uh, you know Nick is on Instagram and he's on Facebook and he's he's got his podcast. He's all over the place, right? And so from time to time I'll check in and and because I want to get to know my guest a little bit, you know and and. And from time to time I would check in and, and and this is how weird the universe works, right? So every time I would check in, this he would be talking about what he has coming up, right? And this was this is I'm just going to do an impression of what you're doing. <laughs> okay? You're like this. You're like, "Oh my gosh, I can't remember the guy's name. I can't remember the name of the show. I just know that I think he's Corrections. Yeah, he's Corrections." <laughs> And then, and then Brianna is in the comments like, "Yeah, it's Bill. It's the Saturday Night Synopsis." And you're still like, "Ah, I don't know." So the last time I caught you on uh, on Facebook Live, you were doing a Facebook Live, and I said, "Hey, man, you know what's going <laughs> what's going on?" So look, I'm glad you found your way here because uh, I was I was worried. I was really <laughs> worried. <laughs> it it pained me so much because I would pre
1: write out everything that I say on my lives, and then I lose the paper. I don't know what happens to my papers. I don't know if that happens to you. Sure. But your name just completely escapes me because I want to call you
0: something different.
1: I want to call you James for some reason.
0: No, every, oh, I, listen, every James I know is, uh, it's not a good. A convicted felon? <laughs> well, sure. Sure. A lot. I just, no, I had I one, say. I had one buddy growing up. His name was James. We called him Jimmy and, uh, and we had a fallen out. So. I know that my name's super complicated. I apologize for that. Um next time next time I'll help uh I'll help you uh, with I, the I will that.
1: never forget your name on a live now.
0: <laughs> now because it's a thing now.
1: Now all my fans say it too. They're like, For God's sake, his name is William Young. Even we know it. Right. So you know, maybe I did
0: that purposely. You know, and you'd think as a guy who is paid to observe and uh you know needs to uh talk about details and, and you know, you're always watching people uh yeah not i was i was concerned man i really was that's why i had a 10 percent prosecution rate no (laughs) observation skills whatsoever man (laughs) nice nice all right so uh, something cool that nick's got uh coming up we're going to talk about some other projects and things that he's got and if you if you have a question for nick or comment uh leave them in the comments below i'm going to be checking them and and we're going to ask them uh as we go here uh but so Nick's got his podcast, Roll Call Room, and We're gonna talk about it here in a little bit, but in July he came up with this great idea to have multiple uh are we podcasters, is that what everybody is? Yeah. Podcasters yeah, much, yeah. come together and uh and do this thing called Podfest. Can you can you tell these people at home what Podfest is and kinda of how it came about?
1: So yeah, so basically, especially with what we're going through law enforcement first responders as a whole, so dispatchers, corrections, fire. Uh, when they're awake, uh, police. Um, you know, we we have a terrible habit of eating our own, and you know we're at a crucial point in our profession where we all need to come together and we need to group together and get everybody through this anti-cop movement and just the the pendulum swinging of um, not loving law enforcement. You know, we had COVID. We can do no wrong. You know, we were out there when everybody else was quarantined at home. So what really bothered me was, is while we were on COVID uh, quarantine, we were down 30% in suicides for this year. Um, I was stoked. I was stoked. Um, But I knew the pendulum was going to swing once the the epidemic was over. Um, Then we started having suicides from law enforcement uh, three in one week. And it's a topic that I talk about nonstop. It's near and dear to my heart. Three in one week is three too many. And I always feel like with the podcast, even though we reach a lot, a lot of people, I said, how do we reach even more people? And the best way to do that is, is every one of us have our designated fans. Will you have your fans? The five other podcasts that will be on uh, PodFest have their own fan base. If we culminate all of these podcasts into one, imagine the amount of people that we can touch talking about mental health, that we're going to get through it. This is a shitty time, and we've been through it before, and we'll all get through it. And talking about the stigma. So that was my thought process was is culminating everybody together And just reaching the masses. Um, And I never knew that so many other podcasts would reach out and go, hey, I want to come on. I want to come on. But I don't think people, I mean, you know, but I don't think people really know the logistics of even just putting on a podcast with just two people on there. Right. But six, six podcasts on one platform. And then we're talking about doing it live, which. I don't know how we're gonna do that, but maybe illegal drugs may be involved. I don't know <laughs> look that's if I, not if, true if I that could do
0: if I could pull off a live thing uh, with five other people uh, helping we I'm sure we could do it and if and if it's sure. terrible it's terrible that's great, right I
1: think it'd be hilarious if it's terrible <laughs> you know I think it's I think it's funny no matter what, but the thing is is it's going to reach a minimum of a hundred thousand people in one night. And a hundred thousand, whether or not it's law enforcement, it's corrections, it's the medical field. For God's sake, if it's the clerk at seven eleven, who cares? Right. But it needs to be discussed. And this infighting amongst first responders has to stop. Um we we just have a very terrible habit in our profession of just eating our own. Um and now's the time to just kind of culminate everything and kind of just move on you know kind of reach as many people as we can reach
0: now it's super important man because it, people don't understand that that people in corrections and law enforcement and you know other first responders have so much stress i mean they're maxed out mm-hmm. all the time anyways even the i know there's some people out there like oh i love this job bill it's not a problem but yeah. most of us are right on the edge all the time anyways and then you throw uh, these events a global pandemic i mean for christ's sake yesterday Yesterday or that was the 12th. Yeah, it was National Kill a Cop Day. You know, I'm yeah. I, I'm getting messages that there, you know, people that are saying, "Hey, we're going after corrections too." You know, and 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 so we already walk around with a target on our back. But to have all of these things mm-hmm. and, and and then our outlets don't change. In fact, the majority of us have been working crazy amounts overtime the last few weeks with with no respite. And, and yeah, I mean, just the environment that we're in is, you know what, Nick, I want to take, I don't know how your friends and and your Facebook feed and all that, all that stuff was last year. But I remember December towards the end of the year, 2019, people were like, you fuck you, 2019. This was like the worst year of my life. And then I can't wait for 2020. And, 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 and I want to find all of those people right now and be Mm -hmm. like, is this, is this better? I mean, for Christ's sake, if 2019 was worse, what was going on in your life that this is, you know, that this is better? So, well,
1: I will tell you this. The only positive thing about 2020 so far has been Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin. The only positive thing. And that's a problem all on its own. I mean, if that's what we have to celebrate,
0: we're in some shitty times. He, he united the country. Listen, he for, did. for eight hours or nine hours or whatever that thing was. I totally forgot about the world crumbling around me, and and I focused in on this very sad uh, documentary on this poor guy that was manipulated by that dirtbag in Vegas. And uh, he did a commercial for my show. I, I saw nice. that. I saw. that. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Jeff. If you're watching, buddy, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Or maybe, I, or but, maybe I'm not. I don't know. Be honest.
1: How many times did you
0: watch Joe Exotic? probably more than uh than i should have it's yeah it's, you know it's not, You're not how, alone no i'm not going to yeah. tell you how many cookies i ate in the middle of the night last night i'm not going to tell you how many times i watched uh tiger king but but now it's funny because people are you know people now are just like i'm not gonna watch the tiger king because uh blah 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 and i'm like first of all everybody watched the tiger king back in february nobody nobody's watching it anymore so you are you you missed the boat okay so talk, yeah. talk about something else you know
1: my favorite was the one fan that uh, messaged me angrily because Jeff Lowe did a commercial for our podcast. I was like, he
0: objectifies tigers. I'm like, are we really doing this? You're are we gonna, really, In this world, are we really doing this? You're going to blow your PETA sponsorship if you're not careful. Yeah, I was like, I'm good. He, object- I'm good. he objectifies tigers. This, I'll I- take off my PETA sticker. <laughs> nice nice all right we got oh um, my buddy jim carpenter's on here his name is james and he's uh he's a little upset that uh i took offense to you calling me james so i'm gonna have to uh i'm gonna have to apologize to him and uh and jeff all the jameses yes all the jameses all the jeffs all the people who objectify tigers i apologize in advance so this go ahead What's uh what got you into police work in the first place? What what did you grow up wanting to be a police officer or, or what? So uh my police history starts way back
1: when I lived in New York City. Uh I was sixteen years old and my parents were absolutely insane to sign the permission slip for me to join the NYPD auxiliaries at sixteen. It was the dumbest thing I've ever done because you wear the same uniform as the NYPD with just a different patch with no gun. No gun, Wow, no bulletproof vest, nothing, just a can of pepper spray. And we would go out there and patrol the streets, the worst streets with a
0: radio that barely worked. You're describing, but I uh, loved it. you're describing correctional officer work, man. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> in the, in the wild. Right, though. right, like, right, like right. In
1: the wild. Right. And um, you know, the show cops, which now recently has been canceled. Yeah. I don't think we can even say cops anymore. Right. No, uh, COPS. Okay. Um, You know, because most, you know, because we can't, we can't read. Right. Um, So when they canceled COPS, um, that was my favorite. That like really got me into police work. I wanted to, you know, run a gun all the time. I wanted to be the guy that drove real fast and arrested people. But nobody tells you the paperwork. (laughs) Nobody tells you the six hours of paperwork for one drunk person. And then court right after you worked a 13-hour shift, court two hours after you get off. So there's no freaking point going to bed. Right. Um, So my my career started when I was 16. Um, I joined um, police department in Virginia in 2005. Um, Very, very heavily into community policing, loved community policing, uh, became a sergeant. I was a sergeant for seven years uh, in the same department. Um, I had very very poor leadership in that agency that led me to resign and leave um and then come back again i, I it was like an abusive relationship I, I loved loved hated it so much that I came back for a second time and uh you know, I sent over the first chapter of my book and i'm sure we'll we'll get into the the mental health piece of where I was at um but came back as an officer instead of a sergeant and then just recently about two months ago left the agency so i am 100 percent scott free from law enforcement right now so um feels good 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 it's a different feeling
0: yeah we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that are lingering around here a little bit later on the program uh since you've been gone um for the, uh, you know, the retirees and for the people that are kind of still doing that running and gun and thing right now, kind of how it affects them later. But I want you to tell, I want you to talk about, so you're, you're a police officer and you're out there and, and, and how did you, how did you say, you know what? I think I'm going to do a podcast. I think I'm going to do this roll call room (laughs) podcast. And, and, and so how did that kind of come to fruition? Well,
1: um, so it's in my book, um, first chapter, um, pretty much right in your face, right from the beginning. Um, when I left my agency as a sergeant and I came back as an officer, that was a huge, huge um, struggle. And I don't mean struggle as in performance, work performance. It was a struggle because that was not the agreement when I left, when I decided to come back to my agency. So I felt betrayed. Um, and then my agency did other things to me to kind of drive the point home and, and and make a spectacle out of what, what happens to you when you leave the agency. Uh, and I toughed it. I toughed it as long as I possibly could. And May 25th, 2019, um, I uh, I tried to take my life. And um, I luckily did not. I'm, I'm, I'm here now. Um, and it had nothing to do with the job stressors on the street. It had nothing to do with dead babies or violent domestics or fatality accidents had nothing to do with that. It was 100% the poor leadership um, and the bullying and retaliation within an agency. And it's not just my, it's just not my former agency because doing the podcast has taught me that the grass is not greener on the other side anywhere. It doesn't matter what patch you wear. It's right. the same culture across the line for our profession. And it's got to stop, especially now. So when I, when that happened in May, um, I struggled. You know, I struggled hard. Um, I worked a lot of mental health cases when I was on the job. I watched a lot of people um, that were mentally ill. I watched a lot of people take medication that were unsuccessful with taking medication or didn't work or altered their state of mind where they were a problem or what we would call a problem. Um, but I went and I saw it in mental health. And the first thing that they wanted to do was give me medication. And in our profession, antidepressants and medication and being armed, just, they don't go together. Right. And none of our agencies, I mean, there's sure, I'm sure there's a handful out there, but none of our agencies welcome mental health or antidepressants as a law enforcement officer with open arms. None of them do. Right. They may say they do, but they don't. You know, they have peer support teams, EAP, all these other things. But the moment you walk in there and you go, hey, listen, I'm taking Zoloft. They're like, whoop, let me get that gun and badge real quick. Need to send you for a fitness for duty. And until that changes, the stigma won't change. So this is May. I'm starting to think about resources. What type of resources can I, can I utilize? And Blue Help, who's a big, major, major uh, advocate for mental health within our profession, BlueHelp.org. They're awesome. They're the top of their top of their game. They, you know, they they track everything. Their data tracking is phenomenal. Karen does a phenomenal job. She's the co-founder over there. Um, but I had to get my story out. I had to get it out, and I had to be vulnerable to other officers for them to see that here's a 15-year vet in an agency that crumpled. And I was the most jovial person. Like how you see how I am right now is exactly how I was as a sergeant. I would show up on a scene with two boxes of donuts at a homicide scene to get your mind off of the homicide scene um, and take care of my people. I always took very good care of my people. I took care of their mental health. And that's lacking in our profession right now. And I said, you know, what can I do? What, 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 what kind of, what kind of thing can I do? I didn't know anything about podcasts. I really didn't. My former co host and I were the union vice president and the president, I was the vice president and him and I at the time had a very good relationship. Uh, We would sit on the phone talk about union stuff and we would laugh. We would make jokes and it just came up one day and I was like, you know, we should just start a podcast about mental health and away it went. October 27th, uh, 2019 was our first podcast and when we kicked it off, we honestly thought that we would only get away with five episodes before we got shut down um, because uh, again in our profession that is not a topic that you want to talk about and when you start attacking commanders or bad commanders in our profession right. that's not a good that's not a good career move that's not an upward mobility move um so I kind of knew that there was going to be some retaliation or, or try and shut us down. Um, we got through five of them. Everything was good. But the show took off. Took off because we were vulnerable or, or I was vulnerable with my mental health issues. We were funny. We tried to be funny. Um, and it, it took off. It just blew up. And they didn't, they didn't bother us until we hit the 25,000 fan mark. That's when we got, when I got called in from the chief. And it was because it was not contained anymore, and because we were growing so fast. And the reason why I was pulled in was because the very commanders that we were talking about that were causing toxic environments within the agency went to the chief and tried to weaponize internal investigation by saying, "You got you got to write them up. You got you got to insubordination, uh, conduct unbecoming, all these charges." Right. And the chief is like have you guys ever heard of first amendment, right? Like, you know, they'll sue the shit out of us. Right. And we hired an attorney. We knew what we were doing before. We weren't stupid. We spent all of our money, whatever we had when we started the podcast on an attorney. So the chief's uh, the chief in like November pulled me in and was like, you know, just please cut down on the cursing and stop telling stories about specific commanders. You guys have 25,000 fans make up a story that it's from Florida or Texas or somewhere else. And we laughed because we were like, you know, everybody from within our agency knew who we were talking about because they're the same toxic leaders. Right. Um, And then it continued to grow. It went to 50,000. Then it went to 60,000. Then it went to 75,000. And um, ultimately um, they wound up forcing me out of the agency and that, pretty much had my co-host take off was like I can't I can't I can't, I can't lose my job too uh, so that's how the podcast was developed and the mission has always been mental health and saving lives and breaking down the stigma and there was one thing that I told the chief when I had my meeting with him which was is it's never coming down no matter what you do it's never coming down uh, you should get behind this and when I went in for that meeting I printed out like Ten emails of of people that emailed me and said, "You know, I was thinking about killing myself, and I listened to your show, and i I reached out to Blue Help, and I'm getting help, and I'm taking medication. How could you not get on board with that? Right? How, as an agency or as a chief of police, how how could you not get on board with that? And that's that's where the book came from too, which is is that we're no we're no better off than where we were a year ago when." Blue help is telling us that we lost 228 to suicide in 2019 and we lost less, less from line of duty deaths. We're dying at our own hands faster than we're dying from criminals out there. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And creating peer support teams is not the answer to it. Um, it, There needs to be open discussion. There needs to be open dialogue with some of these commanders that you need to recognize that PTSD screening needs to start happening. I don't care if you do it every year or every quarter, but you have to do PTSD screening because it's gonna, you're going to pay for it in the future. You really are. And I didn't realize that until I left the agency. And we'll talk about it later like we were talking about when you retire. If you think you have PTSD now or you think that you have trauma now while you're on the job, wait till you're not there anymore. And I never knew that that was a fact until I left. Well,
0: and that's one of the things that, that I, I like about your what you said earlier is that it wasn't a, you know, you didn't have a deadly shooting. You didn't have a specific call. You didn't have something that triggered this. It was, it was other factors. And so what I run into a lot is people that have kind of a misunderstanding about what causes PTSD or anxiety and depression and things like that. They think it has to be some big, super traumatic event. And, and, and and so they're not really watching out for themselves and and they don't realize that just these, this, the daily grind, these little things, it's like a cumulative, uh, you know, approach, um, they just, they become overwhelming and, 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 and we don't even recognize because the stigma that you're talking about, because other people seem to be fine. We, we're like, "Well, nothing's ever even happened to us. I haven't been severely assaulted i haven't you know why why do I have this problem it's got to be It's got to be something else, and so we don't even we don't even address it, which I think is super dangerous
1: it is i mean you know we're we're bred in this profession. I'll just take a fatality accident we're bred to go and handle it, get it done, get the paperwork done, and let's move on to the next thing and I get that that works for a lot of people. That were there are certain people that are wired that way We're doing it that way is perfectly fine. But that others aren't
0: wired that way. Debriefings need to happen. Um, conversations have to happen. Here, here's what and here's what I understand about that, Nick, and, and, and I'm glad you brought that up is it, it look, if I if I had to go restrain a combative inmate, right? Or yeah. or you're on the street and you've got this guy that's three times your size. He's younger, he's stronger, he's faster. And I get on the radio and I ask for help. Nobody bats an eye. They come yeah. running, we handle business, we move on to the next thing but But if I have a situation that I haven't been able to sleep for a few nights because of, and I start talking about it, people look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, why you know why why does that bother you? You shouldn't you know, and we say stupid shit like, well, maybe you should get a different job or or just leave work at work and home at home, you know and 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 and, and the the reality is, like you said, those kind of injuries are just as as damaging as as a mm-hmm. physical assault. But for some reason, we draw this line in the sand and we don't want to help the people that we promised, that we took an oath to say, you know what, if you're in trouble, I'm coming to save your life regardless of what's going on. I am coming until you actually need something and you say, hey, this is bothering me, and then, they, then they're then they nowhere to be found.
1: Well, and, I, and I'll add to that, Will, which is this, which is, you know, every single officer nowadays has a tourniquet on their on their person right right every single one of them right so an officer gets involved in a shooting or a stabbing severs an artery you wouldn't think twice about grabbing the tourniquet strapping it on wrenching it down getting on the radio getting an ambulance there and fuck if you couldn't get an ambulance there throw him in your cruiser and rush to the hospital right right we're all bred that way brother for brother sister for sister right but i'm in the locker room and i tell you that i'm depressed or i'm having problems sleep You watch people disappear, like take off, like, like you have COVID. Right. And that's the problem. Amongst ourselves, there's a stigma there, which is like, oh man, Nick's lost his fricking mind. I don't want to be a part of that. You know, I don't want to be, and it's no fault to their own. It's just because we don't, as, as a profession, we don't train our own people with how to deal with mental health issues from our own brothers and sisters there's a stigma attached to it which is distance yourself from them and and it's a bad thing i don't want to be around this person and that stuff's got to stop i think it's
0: that got stop. i think that has a lot to do with them not dealing with their own demons and, exactly and they can't take on what you have going on because if they did if they were going to validate your your issues your concerns then they would have to look at themselves and they would have to say you know i haven't been sleeping either or yeah you know i you know, I neighbor kid ran through my yard the other night and almost shot him. You know those kind of okay. things. I mean, those are those are reactions that we have for no reason. You know, we're we're super jumpy, we're hyper vigilant all the time, um, and that has a lot to do every. I I say everything to do with the the way that we're trained to survive inside of our facilities, the way that you're trained to survive out on the street. Those things damage us for our our, our personal life. Yeah. They don't translate well. No, no, and
1: and I'll tell you, you know. Even now, being away from the profession for two months now, I'm still hypervigilant. I'm still to the point where I'm always, I'll always be that way. Like I'll always go to a restaurant back to the wall, know where the exits are, don't like being in crowded places. I can spot a dirty car from a mile away. You know, I could spot a drug car from a mile away. And I've been gone for two months, for two months. It's, it's what we're bred to do. Um, But what we're not breeding is we're not breeding compassionate officers for each other. We're not breeding mental health as a top priority. Tactics, top priority right now. Um, But with what's going on with the anti-cop movement and and everything right now, the mental health piece is huge, huge. Because we're going to have a mass exodus of, of officers and corrections officers leaving this profession within the next six months. And I would venture to say a quarter of them we can save. We can save from leaving the profession. Right. And the reason why they're leaving is, is the mental stress. Because, yes, the outside influence, the riots or protests, whichever way you want to call it. But a lot of it is poor leadership. A lot of it is if you have a really good leader, you'll follow them into the gates of hell and back. But. Right now, the problem in our profession is we have a lot of peacetime leaders in wartime, and that's a dangerous combination. That's a dangerous um, – it's just very dangerous because they're making decisions, and they're not qualified to make those decisions. And you see that with stand-down orders. You see that with standing there and allowing protesters to scream and spit in their face. What does that do to their mental health? What, what, what are you doing to the profession? And then you have chiefs of police that are, that are getting on the floor um, and, and, and putting their hands behind their back. And, and I mean, that, the one from um, Massachusetts, you're demoralizing our profession. You know what that does to a brand new one year, two year officer that's, that's a millennial on top of that? They're like, fuck this. I right. can go to Target and be a loss prevention person and make twice as much money for what? It's a, and, and that's the problem is, is that we're not hiring. We have, we have a major recruitment problem, problem in this profession In corrections and fire and fire, um, and police department. Nobody's beaten down the door to do this job anymore. Nobody's beaten down the door. So in, unless we get things back on track, I think our profession within the next year or two. Uh, it, it, we're going to be in some serious, serious trouble.
0: So let's talk about, uh, you talked about losing officers. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and if there's people out there listening that are kind of on the fence, they're like, you know what? I Yeah, I'm not putting up with this shit. I'm going to mm-hmm. go do something else. <sighs> talk to them a little bit about, you said you've been gone for two months. And we talked a little bit about on the phone yesterday on how you've kind of been feeling since. And and I want I want people to understand that when you leave the job because you're stressed or because you're anxious or because you, for whatever reason you got going on, those things don't stay in your department. Those things don't stay at the facility. When you leave, they follow you. So tell, tell, can you tell them a little bit what you told me about how you've been feeling sure. the last few days?
1: So, I mean, when I was, when I was on the job, never had sleeping problems, slept like a baby. um, I've been gone for two months. I don't think I've gotten a full night's sleep in two months. I have nightmares every single night. And it is, I go, I go to therapy. I'm not ashamed to, to say that I go to therapy. And it is because my my subconscious mind is now dealing with all of the traumatic stress of the job, of pushing it to the side and going, I got a job to do. I'll deal with that shit later. Well, later now. Right. And it is every single scene that I have dealt with over the 15, 20 years in law enforcement, every single night, every single night, those fatality accidents, the decapitations, the homicides, all that horrible shit is every single night. And it could be, you know, just waking up from a nightmare and then I go right back to bed. But those are the the decompressors that you get when you leave the job and that's what worries me about the suicide rate for retirees because that's that's what happens with them that's why the suicide rate is so high with retirees because they decompress 25 30 years of dealing with that now there's nothing else because when when we're on the job you, you you're you're just trained to the point where you're like you know you got to go to work today you do your daily routine if you prep your lunch you prep your lunch If you stop at Krispy Kreme every day on the way in, you stop at Krispy Kreme or or whatever, no shame. Um, And then, you know, you get in the locker room, you strap up, you got to get mentally right. Mental warrior, just like uh, Dave, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman says, mental warrior, you know, warrior mindset, right? And you just put that shit aside and you put it aside and you put it aside. And you may talk about it with your wife or your loved one, but you're not really dealing with it. You're not really fully coping with what you're seeing it's not normal the shit that we see nobody should see the stuff that you and i see right some of it's funny yeah i mean some of it's hilarious i mean i I, I gotta be honest now i got some fucking hilarious stories yeah that will last me a lifetime um but it's just shit that you're not supposed to see and for me the last two months has just been coping and dealing with that stuff um, but – and I, I can only imagine what it's like for somebody that's done 30, 35 years of the job. I can only imagine. Um, so those are the stressors once you leave. So even if you do leave this job and you say, you know what, fuck it, I'm done with this job or this profession – I'll go work for Goodyear or wherever, wherever you want to work. Krispy Kreme. i second time I've said that maybe we should get a sponsorship. Yeah. Do
0: you need me to oh. send you some donuts buddy or what? Yeah, dude, I actually have a
1: Krispy Kreme box right in front of me. That's why I keep saying it. Nice. I wanted to eat it while I was on the, on this show, but I thought that would be too much.
0: No, you're not um, even wearing pants. Why would it matter if you ate a donut? None, you know what I mean? None.
1: I don't even think people think I'm serious. <laughs> no pants whatsoever. So he's,
0: he's serious guys. He's serious.
1: Dead serious. And they're compression <laughs> shorts too. Um, so, so where was I? Uh, I? I lost, we lost each other at, um, no pants. Right. Um, so I just think, I think if you're going to leave this profession, doesn't matter if you've only been on for six months, a year, two years, do yourself a gigantic favor and go and talk to somebody that's not a family member. Go talk to a mental health professional. It doesn't make you crazy. It doesn't, it, it, it's not a sign of weakness. You've got to talk about that domestic that you went on, that homicide that you went on, because it's going to catch up with you. Um, you and I talked offline about an officer that I, that I lost uh, because of cancer. It took me three years to deal with that. Three years. I didn't deal with it at the time. I waited. Um, and that was a fault of my own. I just didn't talk about it. Uh, but I was a sergeant. I was more worried about my people, how they were going to cope with their loss. Um, and I was just like, I got to be tough for them. Uh, but when this whole thing happened in May with my with my mental health issue, that's when that came up. Um, and it was a contributing factor of what I did or what I attempted to do. So
0: I want to read. I want to read. If you don't mind, can I read them A, a, a just a quick quick little couple sentences he so so nick sent me the first chapter of the book and where you talk about this co-worker that you're talking about that passed away yep. from cancer and and i i, I want to tell you guys that um you know he sent me the the first chapter um it's written for us it's written for people who have been where we have been um and and it's you will want to read more um And as soon as he gets, uh, gets it going, I'll put the, I'll put a link to it and I'll help promote that book, Nick, however I can. But you, you wrote in here, um, I appreciate it. You No, no problem, buddy. You wrote that, uh, kind of about the night she died and that you held her hand and convinced her that it was okay to go. And, um, Mm -hmm. and then, so this is what you say about this. You say, I remember the night before she passed very well, she was fighting and prolonging the inevitable, mostly because she was a warrior and all the way till the end she thought she could beat cancer i remember sitting next to her and holding her hand and convincing her to let go i've done a lot of terrible things in my life but that still to this day hurts my heart i had to convince her that it was the best thing for her to do to die and that everyone would be able to heal once she did i believe that was the beginning of my mental downfall that's uh that's yeah. some powerful shit man i mean i uh, the only thing i can equate it to is when my mom was dying of cancer in 2006, I sat there and had those kind of conversations and and just essentially waited for her to die. But I... How much did that fuck you up, Nick?
1: Pretty bad. I mean, uh, she knew... I mean, she... At the end, we knew that she was going to pass. And it was... It was very rough... I plant, you know, her. Her parents gave me the honor of planning her funeral, and what I would do is I went to the funeral home and I t- took pictures of stuff, and I went back, and I sat next to her and showed her pictures of her coffin, and showed pictures of her, her program, and, and what what I was going to do for her, do all this stuff. It was the most eerieest thing, but the convincing to to, to let go was was really, really tough because she wanted to fight. She wanted to continue to fight. And uh, the there was no fight left. And what it was doing was it was prolonging the inevitable and nobody can heal. Everybody was just in pause. And it felt like such a shitty person because I had to convince her that it was best for her to let go so that everybody else could move on. That's the shittiest feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. And I was a boss. I was her, I was her sergeant. Before, before this cancer uh, hit, we were just coworkers. She was my subordinate. You know, I signed leave slips, signed her vacation slip, checked her reports. I didn't have any real personal connection with her. And that all changed. Drove her to every chemotherapy appointment, stayed with her. I was there when she got the prognosis that it was terminal. Um and it sucked. I still remember to this day, ten thirty in the morning, her mom calling me the next morning and going, She's gone. And I knew that it was just a shitty feeling because in, in, our, in our profession we're 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 supposed to save people. You know, we're supposed to we're supposed to you know be there for people. Right. And here I am, I'm convincing somebody to to die, like to to just let go. And it hurt, man. I when I was driving over there um to wait for the funeral home to come pick her up.
0: I was sobbing.
1: I was sobbing because I felt like I felt like I did it. I right. felt like I I I disappointed everybody because everybody wanted her to her, to be around. All of our coworkers wanted her her to stay, like to to still be around. But she wasn't the same person, you know? And I harbored a lot a lot of guilt. I harbored a lot a lot of guilt even at the funeral. I felt like I didn't I didn't belong there, like I let her down, like I should I shouldn't have been there. And um it compounded worse with stress from the leadership from the department. The chief of police at the time was the most solid person when it came to the funeral, but everybody around him treated it as positional equity. Mm-hmm. They treated it and jockeyed it like it was like it was a way to elevate their careers. And that, that beyond pissed me off, like you wouldn't believe. I had commanders turn around. You know, I had asked for a motor escort, I had asked for honor guard to come, and I had asked for her, her coffin to be carried out by our unit, the community policing unit. And I had commanders, literal commanders, turn around and go, Why, why are you trying? Why are you doing all of this? She, she was barely here. She wasn't even an officer for very long. You're treating this like a line of duty death. And that's the mentality that we have in, in our upper leadership. It doesn't fucking matter if she's been here for a week or 25 years. Right. If she donned a uniform, I'll even go even further. They wanted to charge her family for her to be buried in her fucking uniform. Who does that? Right. Who fucking does? And it's not just that agency. So I won't just pick on that agency as much as I'd like to. It's not just that agency. It's a culture. It's a culture within our agency. We're stuck in the 50s. And it really was the, the beginning and the downfall of my mental health because I had to deal with her family. I had to deal with the funeral arrangements. I was stuck in a shit sandwich between the command staff her family and my crew. And my crew, I had 12 officers that I was in charge of. I had to stay strong for them. They were super, super depressed. I didn't shed a, I didn't shed a tear around them. I rallied them. I, I did what a leader was supposed to do, is just coach them through it. And um it was tough, man. It was really, really tough. And then when it was over, I had a commander turn around. I wanted to take three weeks off and just kind of regroup, mentally regroup. And I had this commander call me up, which which is amazing because she was the uh, the head of the critical incident scene management team. She called me up and she's like, what's this I hear you taking three weeks off? I'm like, I, I got to get right. I got to get mentally right. right. I've been dealing with this for three months. I need to get my life in order. I need to get my family in order. And I swear to God, the comment that she gave me was, is stop being a little bitch get back to work and just devastated me. So no support from, from leadership, from command, no support whatsoever around uh, the department with some of the other leaders. And we just had to move on. We just had to move on. We had to pack up her desk. I remember that. That was the other thing that the commander said. She was like, get all of her stuff out of here, pack it up, get it out of here. Just treated her like it was like just nothing. And that, I couldn't say anything and I couldn't, I couldn't absorb it. I couldn't mentally break down in my office because I had 12 other people to worry about. Right. And, um, that all didn't come back up until I started going to therapy after the May 25th incident was when I broke down all about that three years after three years. Um, and on my podcast was the first time that I spoke about her in three years also we did an episode on her called lost warrior and i barely made it through that episode barely um but it's a necessity i mean i think it goes hand in hand she unfortunately passed away of cancer but it goes hand in hand with suicide as well how do we treat suicide funerals do we do full honors for funeral for for suicide no
0: no, you have That'd the you have the argument. They say the same thing. They say, Well, uh, they, they some people get really mad when people kill themselves. They're yes. like, yes. Oh, that person, you know, that's the easy way out, and that's this and that, you know, all the stupid shit that you hear. But yeah, they don't they do not want to provide any sort of honors at a suicide.
1: It's 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 so shameful. Because my agency experience, experienced several suicides. One when I was when I was still there, and the same thing. The what they wound up honoring was they had an honor guard um, person positioned at the front doors to open and close the doors. That was it. There was no, there was nothing else. And how could you, as an agency, say that you're for officer mental health or breaking the stigma when you don't have a policy set in place for suicides? They should be treated with the same respect. So you're saying that an officer that did 25 years has a rough patch in their life and kills themselves. They don't get an honorable funeral. What happened to those 25 years? Right. What happened to all those calls for service that they handled? What about all those crimes that they solved? Those just disappear?
0: What about all the That's sacrifices not. they made, all the birthdays and anniversaries and Christmases they worked, and, and you know, all of that? Yeah.
1: It, 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 if you really peel back the layers of why we're having the problems that we're having and we're seeing the numbers that we're seeing, the 228 last year and where we're, where we're going this year. It's not that hard to figure out where the, where the disconnect is. It really isn't. And it doesn't really take a lot of hard work to fix it. It's just, you got, you got a lot, a lot of people in command positions that are so stuck in their ways that they won't do any self-reflection. And that's the problem. You need the dinosaurs to retire and you need new leadership, new younger leadership to take over in the law enforcement profession. Unfortunately,
0: but fortunately, Um, I'm not talking about millennials, right? Yeah, I know. I I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, in fact, some of the comments that I got was, you know, when I started talking about this kind of stuff was, well, we didn't have this shit when I started. I mean, why do you need it? Well, we Mm -hmm. need it because look at, look at you on your third divorce, you know, look at, you know, how, you know, the walls of Jericho are coming down around you and, and you refuse to admit like the only good part about your life is working inside of a facility. I mean, that that's crazy. I mean, I'm not saying that, look, I, and, and I'm sure it's similar for you, but I'm not saying, uh, that working in this field in corrections or law enforcement is the sole contributor to Mm -hmm. everybody's, you know, unraveling, but it doesn't help. I agree. It doesn't help you. You look, look at that, that story that you told man. Um, first of all, I want to share that, that, that Thomas, uh, D Santiago, he, he watches every week. And he said that you, uh, you were her rock, man. In the end, you held it all together, uh, for her. And Brianna says it's not how they died that matters. It's how they live. But what people need to understand is, is that while you were doing all of those things that you were doing, while you were planning your funeral, and if you have never, I had to sit down and do that with my mom. It you sucks. Know, it, it, it's terrible. And it, and if you've never done that, then, then you really shouldn't even participate in this conversation. But um, you you do those things, and then you also have to go to work. You also have the other shit that you're worried about. You like mm-hmm. you said you have you have uh you're planning uh your your coworker's funeral and then you have to sign some vacation slips or you have to listen to some guy mm-hmm. bitch because the vending machine's out of Cheetos or something. I mean mm-hmm. that all of that adds up and that's why that's why people snap because they they can't for me I can't figure out you know it like you said in in our profession it never stops. And so I was I was talking to I had an incident a couple of weeks ago. And I had to, I had to go out and I had to get some help. I had to call our EAP people and I had to kind of start that process again. But, um, you know, they asked me, you know, what do you, you know, what's your biggest concern? I said, my biggest concern is this does not stop. This is like drowning in a river, and the the current just does not stop flowing. So I I can, I can patch this hole here, but but who knows what tomorrow's going to bring. You know what I mean, and so that's the struggle, and that's why I feel like this information is so important because people do not understand that these things, like you said, they can they catch up on you when you're when you're not even when you're not even paying attention. You know, when you're you're having a, a fire pit with your neighbors, when you're out to eat with your family. You know, what I mean, that's when these things come up. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I'll
1: tell you this one. You know, when you look at our profession. And let's just take our uniforms, for example. Okay. Let's look at from 1950, what our uniforms used to look like, right? And look where they are now. Look how tactical, tactically sound we are. Right. A lot of departments have adopted out of carriers, tasers, um, newer equipment, better training. But from 1950 to now, how, where have we progressed in the mental health field in law enforcement? Nowhere nowhere we've done everything else great to save officers lives when it comes to active shooter school shootings uh tourniquets um triage uh during a shooting we're saving each other out on the street in record numbers and i would attribute the fact of last year's lower line of duty deaths because of medical breakthroughs and we're training our officers to basic basically be paramedics in the field now we're we're doing dt training where we're teaching officers for tourniquets, stop the bleed all this other stuff but we're not doing it up here we're not we're not even we're not even breaking the service surface mentally at all and in the academy is where we need to do it we need to start in the academy. You know, we joked about the millennials before about them taking over as leaders or being chiefs of police. Now, no, absolutely not. Keep on texting and doing social media, millennials. You keep Facebook going, OK? Um, but
0: Yeah, so they can watch a, the show, man. Yeah, we need people on Facebook. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I love millennials. Um, but there is actually a chapter in my book dedicated to millennials because, believe it or not, millennials are going to fix our profession when it comes to mental health. And the reason why I say that is is because they have grown up in a generation where asking for help for mental health is an acceptable thing. They are the generation that's going to come into our profession and fix it. So for once millennials, you have something to celebrate. Other than being lazy, that, that's not fair, but it's true. They, yeah, they ex- they- And needing constant and needing constant, like you're doing a great job.
0: You know, I, it, listen, I, I, you're, I think I agree with you hundred percent. I think that, I think that the way there's definitely a divide between the way that I view the world and the way that they view the world. However, mm-hmm. um, like you said, they, they came up in the, you know, the bullying, the mental health, uh, that era. And, Absolutely. uh, we have a lot of newer lieutenants and sergeants at our facility, and you can see the difference in the tone that they set for their crew, and, and the things that they want to do mm-hmm. do for them. Little activities, little you know, whether it's a newsletter or what, I mean, we built uh, uh, like gingerbread houses one year. I mean, I love that kind of shit because that that yeah. breaks up the the craziness that we. I mean, and, and it builds us; it brings us closer together as as officers. You know, even if we're joking about it, making fun mm-hmm. of it, it's still it's still a beautiful thing. I think.
1: Well, you can you can definitely in our profession, corrections and law enforcement, you can definitely see the leaders from the managers in a roll call. Just go to a roll call. If you're a chief or an under, or a deputy chief or or assistant chief in an agency, go to a roll call. See who your leaders are. If they're sending people out into the world, if they're sending officers out into the world or into the into the cell into the housing units with gloom and doom, get them the fuck out of that position. Right. Because they're destroying mental health. When I was a sergeant, I used to work higher back overtime and I'd work on other shifts and I would go to some of these roll calls. It was literally like it was a depressing 30 minutes. It was I would turn to these sergeants and, and a lieutenant like watch commander and I, I would go, is this how you guys do your roll calls? This is terrible. You, you show them a police involved shooting where the officer gets killed. And then you send them out on the street. <laughs> that's your words of encouragement. Like, how about show that and then show something funny, like show a YouTube video of some some dad getting kicked in the nuts or something. Right. Something
0: hilarious, you know,
1: or or, or Krispy Kreme. You know, a
0: third time. That's number three. Yep. Number, that's three. number three. I think you have to do it. F- is it five or seven times for them to for these guys to burn it in their head? Is that what it is in advertising? I think it is. Okay. I, did, I think it is. Okay. Yeah. We have a couple more times, then. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I want so there's a lot of people out there that that struggle with their mental health and and they're keeping it to themselves. They're struggling in silence because they don't want to appear weak in front of their peers, not only peers but their kids, their families, their neighbors. So. What advice can you give? Can you, uh, what words of wisdom can you pass along for people who are keeping their their sadness, their anxiety, their depression uh, to themselves?
1: Well, first of all, I will always push Blue Help. I'll always push that. You have cop line. You have text line. You have all of that stuff. But more importantly, peer support in every agency needs to stop being a team and being an entire department. You need to train the entire department, not a designated team. And I'll give you an example. When I was the union leader, I had I had an officer that was getting um, getting fired, getting ready to get fired, struggling, and I knew they were in crisis mode. Call the peer support team leader, and I say, "Hey, listen, I got this guy. He's struggling. Who can he talk to on the peer team?" He goes, "Listen, I'm going to send you over a list of people." I looked at this list, and I was like. These people suck. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't even fucking talk to these people. Right. And the problem is, is that in a lot of agencies, peer support is a catchphrase or, or it's a catchy thing or it's a checkoff block. Well, we got a peer support team. We got CISM. We, we got CIT. We're good, right? We got the EAP. We're good. And for some commanders, that's okay. You have to train everybody to be peer support. So when I'm running calls with you, Will, and you're, you're, my, you're my brother out on the street and I'm struggling. You are fully prepared for me to go and tell you, listen, I'm having marital problems. I'm having financial problems. I'm just not doing good. And instead of you just looking at me and going, dude, that sucks. Let's call. have some sort of training, some sort of basis to say, hey, listen, dude, I'm not a therapist and I hear what you're saying. Let's call together let's call together and, and get blue help.
0: No. And I think you're right because we are in that aspect. Every every one of us can be in that position at any given time. And, and, and officers are going to come to the people that they're comfortable with. And so you have to be ready to respond. And, 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 you know, for me, I love like, uh, you know, blue Help's got a lot of great resources. I took a, you know something like mental health first aid you know a suicide action plan those kind of things that just basic just a little bit of information to complement the stuff that the agency officers offers but i mean you have to you have to care you have to be invested in in what they have going on and a lot of people don't want to do that because they don't want that responsibility if i say hey nick how you doing today and you're like i'm fucking i'm not good and i'm gonna be like Whoa, whoa hang on man i was hoping you were just gonna say yeah same shit different day you know but uh, but you're right yeah. because we – when that information comes from administration or a therapist or somebody else, we're at least correction – at least me, I'll just say me, but I think a lot of us in corrections and and probably law enforcement in general are very cynical. And we don't really want to hear it <laughs> because they have never patrolled the streets. They have never carried the keys. They haven't been – where I've been, and so how can they tell me anything about, about what I'm going through, you know? Did, did you guys yeah. experience that in, yeah. in, in your place? Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, we, we experience in our agency a lack of communication when it comes to being vulnerable. And when the podcast happened, when Roll Call Room was created, one of the things that happened when we created in October, me and my former co-host, we would walk through the hallways and we would have officers come up to us and go, Listen, I'm listening to your show. Can I talk to you for a second? And pull them aside into a conference room and they'd go, Listen, I'm not doing good. My my marriage is falling apart. I'm not doing good. And I would go, Listen, let me let me talk to you for a second. Okay. And there were about 60 officers that came to, between me and my former co-host, 60 officers that were struggling, that wouldn't have said anything if there wasn't one veteran officer that was a little bit vulnerable, that said, hey, listen, I'm struggling too. And that's what needs to happen. There needs to be veteran officers to step up and be like, listen, there are officers out there that will tell you that it's completely normal what you're thinking about. And that's – that's I think that's one of the successes of the roll call room is, is these newer officers listen to it, and they go, here's a 15-year veteran who's turning around going, it's okay to go and talk to somebody. It's okay to go be on medication. Um, and you don't have to divulge that stuff to your agency. That's all covered under, under Privacy Act. You don't have to walk into HR and turn around and go, hey, guess what? I'm taking antidepressants. Right. Look at me. You don't have to tell them shit. You don't have to tell them nothing. You're covered. And even if you got and here's the other thing, is this is how I was when I went to my went when I went to my shrink and she was like, I'm putting you on medication. And I was like, if I get into a shooting and they're gonna piss test me, I'm gonna i I'm gonna pop hot and I'm gonna get fired. That's the that's the totally that's so wrong. It's it's the furthest thing because if you talk to any Law, any lawyer that deals with law enforcement shootings, antidepressants have nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. It is, it is for you to control what's going on. It's for you to get better. And I could tell you from experience, it's, and it's in my book, and when you read the other nine chapters, well, you'll see. I'll tribute you to the other nine. I hope so. Uh, yeah. Well, you're going to get first crack at it. <laughs> Appreciate but it. there's a whole chapter on medication. I went through three different medications to find the right one, And now I know why emotionally disturbed people are the way that they are, why they stop taking medication, why they do take medication and why they act a, act a certain way on their medication is because it's probably the wrong medication. Why they come off of their medication is because when you're on it and it starts working, you, you feel you're right back to your normal self, and you're like, "Fuck, I'm great, I'm healed. I'm good." I don't need to take it anymore. That's the furthest thing from the truth. You need to take it. Um, and in our profession, and that's something that, that recruitment-wise, our profession needs to start understanding, is you are going to have to start hiring people that are on antidepressants because the millennial generation that's coming in is not afraid to go seek mental health. And you can't ostracize them from this profession because they suffer from uh, – let me back up. Mental health is many different things schizophrenia stuff like that that's going to that's going to disqualify you we're not going to want you in a cruiser with with bipolar schizophrenia and all that other stuff but ptsd uh anxiety that kind of stuff that that stuff can be monitored it can be it could be handled and you could have a very successful law enforcement career with those uh, uh disabilities um so so yeah Long-winded, yes. So that was a big, huge issue in our department until that there was some sort of vulnerability. Even though I'm not at that department anymore, I still have officers text me and say, hey, listen, you know, I got a big problem. I had one the other day text me and say, hey, listen, I was talking to Jim in the locker room. I'm not liking what he's saying. Who can I send him to? Right. I, don't mind being an, I don't mind being a resource because the, the Roll Call Room podcast was meant to just save one life. That was that was what my former co-host and I used to say, that just saves one. But, well, I got hundreds of emails from officers that are like, I listen to your show, especially now with the riots and, and the protests and all this. I jump in the car. I put on an episode. I laugh my ass off. But there's a seriousness to it as well. I feel better. And I think that's what we need right now. We need that in our profession. That's what we were talking about at PodFest. We need something like that. Um Because all we hear is, is that we're pieces of shit. We're not doing our job. Everybody, they want to defund everybody under the sun. You know, Starbucks loves us one day, hates us another day. You know, which breaks my heart. You know, you can't even go into a Krispy Kreme without being hated. Fourth time.
0: We got two more times, uh, folks, before it's subliminally, (laughs) before it's ingrained in your mind. And every single person watching, all three of you, will drive to Krispy Kreme in the morning and buy a dozen donuts and you'll have no idea why. You have no I mean, idea. How
1: why. how many of your fans do you
0: think are going to do that tomorrow? I hope all or, of them.
1: I hope so too. I hope they all should of them. send you pictures.
0: That would be great. If you stop and go to Krispy Kreme tomorrow or, you know, let's let's say uh Dunkin' Donuts, let's say anywhere. Uh but Krispy Kreme would be awesome. Uh yeah, send me a message and uh and I'll put it up on the page <laughs> and and that'll be super awesome. You know what? If somebody does that, here's what we're going to do, Nick. Uh, if you go to Krispy Kreme tomorrow and you send me a, uh, a message or leave it in the comments, you can leave it in the comments of this video. Uh, I'm gonna pick one of you and I'll send you an autograph book. I'll message you. I'll send you an autograph book because uh, that's awesome. I'll and maybe maybe a Krispy Kreme gift card. Who knows?
1: And I'll match it. Whoever does it, I will send them roll call room swag.
0: Oh, there you go. Very good. Very good. So so you have absolutely. So we're we're encouraging you to uh to uh, forcing you yeah forcing you into diabetes and obesity. So yeah, so we're we're changing lives <laughs> here, Nick. We're changing lives one person at a time. Oh, we're curing
1: mental health, and then we're we're we're, we're encouraging insulin diabetes.
0: <laughs> yeah, which uh, is you know there's no stigma attached to diabetes, so you can just go and, and, and it'll be fine. You can keep your job, not a problem uh nick so when you're having uh, when you're having a bad day when 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 your um you know the dark clouds are, are swarming uh what's your relief man what do you do what does nick do to uh to to pull himself out of it maybe you can share a couple of tips these these people can employ
1: well i will tell you you know the podcast for me has saved me in so many different ways the fans uh They will never, ever know how the last couple months have been very, very dark and they've been very, very helpful. But I will tell you that writing was probably the most therapeutic thing that I've ever done. I've never been a writer. You know, you and I were joking around yesterday on the phone and then just before the podcast. I got a New York City education, which means basically that, you know, I I learned how to write and read from the back of a cereal box. (laughs) Um, And... I'm so uneducated that I used Dragon software to write my book so that I could talk to text to write my book because I'm so lazy. I didn't want to type it, but I found it so therapeutic and my therapist told me to do like a journal and stuff, but I was like, I feel like a 16 year old girl journaling. (laughs) Um, But I still went to Barnes and Noble and I bought like a pink journal with like a heart and then a lock on it. You know that lock? Nice. That's on there, well, you don't want your parents to get into it,
0: yeah, you don't want your parents to get into it, yeah right, yeah,
1: yeah, and I even went to my parents' house and I put it underneath my old bed,, <laughs> nice. and I wrote on the outside of it, do not open private Nice. um
0: and left the keys attached to it, that's, I think that's I, a trust, I think in the next I think the next time I have you on, you should bring that journal, and we should we should open it up and see who Nick has a crush on, yeah,
1: well, I. <laughs> I have written my first name and their last name 16 <laughs> times on one page. Nice, because I want to make sure that if we if we wind up together, that our names mesh. Because right. you don't want to be you don't want to be with like Nick Swisowski. <laughs> just doesn't make any friggin' sense whatsoever. Right, you know, like it's gotta it's gotta gel. It's got a gel. Well, I think it's but, very
0: progressive that you would change your uh, change your last name and not oh, do it. Like, like, it's 2020,
1: bro. Yeah. it's 2020, bro. We're we're at a whole new level. We're at Krispy Kreme level. We're not at Dunkin' Donuts level anymore.
0: Listen, our our uh, our, our our donut reference count. They're saying we're at we're over a dozen now. No, they're saying we, we passed five a long time ago. People are counting. People well, are Krispy counting.
1: Krispy Kreme, you need to get off your ass and give this guy a discount code that he could push out. And I would like to
0: facilitate facilitate a
1: ten percent sponsorship deal, which is ten percent from the coupon code. There you go. Stop and cheap, Krispy Kreme.
0: There you go. And 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 so so I got. I don't know if this is going to count, but uh, Sarah Zimmerman says she already has a dozen, two dozen donuts, Krispy Kreme on her counter for the morning, right now, ready to go. So she was prepared Done. prior to this.
1: Uh, that counts. Yeah. That counts. Okay. All right. Good. I, I'm gonna vote. I'm gonna vote yes.
0: Okay. Uh, bowl, yes. What about gas station donuts? Is it is a picture of a gas station donut? I don't, I don't know.
1: I almost want to say that following that is going to be a picture of a toilet bowl. Okay. Because that's where you're going to be right after you eat that.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, Thomas, Thomas says right here, he says he doesn't think you really have Krispy Kreme donuts there. And, uh, and so challenge accepted. Challenge. Okay. Here challenge. we go. Now, here he goes, guys. Live on TV. Live on fit. Fa- Here he comes. Oh my gosh. There it is. <laughs> well, this guy is um, amazing. Very good. There you go, Thomas. He has the donuts. He has the donuts. I even put pants
1: on for you. <laughs>
0: Oh man, this is uh yeah, this is great man. I I uh I have nothing. I have no donuts. I have this glass of water and uh but uh I will come well, prepared next time.
1: I've been chugging an energy drink and water because since I have left the profession, I can't stay up past 8 p.m. anymore. <laughs> my life my life at, after shift work I just have turned into a 65-year-old man in a 25-year-old's body. Nice.
0: That's a Bye. with a habit of a 16 year old girl so you're uh yeah oh man i you're wrecked
1: journal like a mofo <laughs> I, right after this i'm gonna journal like a mother i'm right. just gonna like, right today i was on will's show <laughs> we had fun
0: <laughs> yeah i pre i appreciate you slumming man and and hanging out with me tonight yeah
1: i looked forward to it man it was awesome like uh you know when you're when you do podcasts, you don't really like you don't do video. You don't like this is not a video face. This is a this is more of a voice kind of sure. thing. Sure, You know, so but I love I love your show. I watch your show. I think your message is really really good, um, and that's why I I, I reached out to you about doing Podfest because the corrections field never gets the proper representation and i think from the law enforcement community i think the problem is is that we don't we don't look at the the dispatcher side and we don't look at the correction side um you know in the law enforcement side your chances of running into somebody that's very dangerous is 50/50 everybody in the housing unit is in there for a reason right and and and, and you have to look at that uh, I used to treat, train rookies when I when I was a field trainer about that. When you go into the booking facility, treat the deputies with respect. Uh, if they're short with you, they're dealing with these folks nonstop all day. They they can't leave. They're locked up with them. Uh, so you guys, more than anything, need that outlet. You guys need that 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 mental health piece as well.
0: Well, I appreciate I appreciate you uh, inviting me on and uh, and. I'm going to put I need to where where can they get a copy of your book at Nick? Where can they pre-order your book? Well, my um
1: my website is called Mental Health Barrier, uh barricade, sorry, barrier. Mental Health Barricade. Uh pre-orders are going on now. Uh we'll do pre-orders all the way until the book is done being edited and released. We're looking at the beginning of August as a release. All pre-orders $5 from the pre-order will go towards bluehelp.org. It'll be a donation to bluehelp.org. Uh, that'll be just for pre-orders. All pre-orders will be autographed and shipped out as soon as they come in. So the, uh, I'm doing self-publication. Uh, so the books will be ready in about seven to ten days from the time that I give it to the, the publishing company. Um So I'm really pushing, uh, pre-orders because I want to give blue help as much money as I possibly can. I just dumped off a donation to them last week for the first half of the, um, pre-sales. Um, yeah, so that's where they can go. Mental health barricade, or they can go to rollcallroom.com. There's a link on there, uh, right on the homepage to go link over to the website, um, and I greatly appreciate it. If you're in law enforcement or you're a spouse of law enforcement, you need to get this book. Um, and it's, it's a really good preparer for what you're about to endure. And if you're already in the profession, you should read this book, especially if you want to get into leadership. If you want to be a sergeant or a lieutenant or a captain, one, God help you. Two, read it and discover what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So.
0: This, this needs to be taken as seriously as self-defense training. I mean when you're a, when you're a brand mm-hmm. new hire new boots, you're standing there and we tell you, look uh, you got to stand a certain way, don't jam your hands in your pocket because at some point somebody is going to try to attack you. It, 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 nobody questions that. So this is what we're saying now and this is why this book is important is because look read it now. it may not make sense to you now. But in two weeks, two years, 10 years, you may Mm -hmm. say, you know what? I watched this little podcast or I read this little book and I'm starting to have some of these things that they were talking about. Maybe I need to go back and revisit that because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to prepare you. We're trying to give you Mm -hmm. some tools. So when these things come up, you know how to handle it. And you know that there are options for help out there. So I think it's, I think it's a super important book. Go ahead.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate that. And what I tried to do with the book is not just make it gloom and doom. What I tried to do was I tried to prepare every officer, especially that I was a sergeant for seven years. I was privy to a lot of management stuff. I tried to prepare people as to why decisions are made the way that they are and why there are different type of leaders. So when you have a leader that you're struggling with or a manager that you're struggling with, the book will define why they are the way that they are why they make the decisions that they make and nine times out of ten it's not you right it's them right it, it, it really is um and I just think like I said as a cult as a culture in every agency we need to change and we need to do it fast no,
0: I agree especially I, now I couldn't agree with you more man is there any any final thoughts any parting words for these folks before we get out of here
1: the only parting words I would tell you is is that Anything more than two glazed donuts um, is excessive. And you need to look at yourself in the mirror and pull yourself together.
0: So we're going to force them to get the donuts and then shame them for, because you know, nobody's just going to eat two. There you go. (laughs) Anything more than two donuts, you're out of
1: control. For real.
0: And and if that's the case, you can contact me or Nick, and we will point you in the right direction for help. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> right. Okay. All right, buddy. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna sign off. If you'll hang out, and we'll, uh, as soon as I end the broadcast, we'll get back together. Okay. Awesome, buddy. All right. Good night, Nick. Night. All right, guys. That's all we got tonight. Make sure you check out Nick's podcast, The Roll Call Room, on your preferred podcast pl- platform, and go to his website. He, he gave it to you, Roll Call Room police metal barricade to order a pre-order copy of his book the pros five dollars of that is going to blue help with is a a great organization that helps uh police officers correctional officers uh in in the worst absolute worst moments of their life all right join us next week Uh, on the show will be a personal friend of mine, and and he'll be talking about his experience. A few years ago, I took him on a tour of my correctional facility. He'll be talking about his experience that he had there as a civilian, and then he's going to talk about rituals to strengthen the psyche. We're going to dive into meditation as a stress reliever, and then at the end of the show, we we have something super, super crazy, super special planned. He's going to do a guided meditation session for us live on the show i've done with one of these with him before it is amazing so make sure that you tune in for that we're going to chit chat and then at the end of the show we're going to do the guided meditation all right guys thanks for spending your saturday night with me if you enjoyed the show please tell your friends uh share the show with them and then let us know what we do here as soon as i sign off here i'm going to upload this video to youtube so you'll be able to get it on youtube and also facebook all right guys, until next time be smart, stay safe, stay sane and we'll talk soon.